Hello there and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Geraghty. Today, I'm very excited to welcome back to the show Patrick Campbell, founder and CEO at ProfitWell, formerly Price Intelligently. It's software for helping subscription companies with their monetization and retention strategies. Before founding ProfitWell, Patrick led strategic initiatives for Boston-based Gemvara and was an economist at Google and the US intelligence community. Since Patrick was last on the show, something pretty big has happened for him. ProfitWell was acquired by the SaaS payments platform Paddle for $200 million earlier this year. On today's show, Patrick shares what that experience was like, how he came to that decision, how the sometimes tricky process of integration played out, and the trust that's needed to pull off a successful acquisition. We also chat about his days bootstrapping the company, his approach to content marketing, and why he spent 15 minutes at a conference this year saying nothing but the word churn over and over again. Seriously. So let's head over to studio to welcome back Patrick Campbell. Patrick, welcome back to the show. I think you were first on back in, I think it was 2018, I think. My has the world not changed at all since then. That's, uh, <laughs> that's yeah, happy to be here. I mean, nothing's changed. No, Nothing's changed. Uh, yeah. Everything's amazing. Not even slightly. Yeah. Um, so just, just to start off, for people who may have missed your first appearance with us, could you just give us like a little bit of background on yourself and, and your career? So far, yeah, totally. So Patrick Campbell, I'm now the, what's the, called the Chief Strategy Officer here at Paddle. I ended up starting my career in U.S. intelligence, so I worked in D.C. for for the Intel community, and then I worked at Google with a background in uh, econometrics and math. And then I started a company called Profitwell and ran that as a bootstrap company for about a decade. You know, growing and growing and growing in the subscription and SaaS space, and then we recently sold it to Paddle earlier this year. So. I've had an adventurous year and, you know, an adventurous couple of years that everyone has had since since last appearing on the pod. Yeah, for sure. I, I was going to say, like, that. It, obviously something pretty major happened <laughs> since you were last with us. Like you said, you sold profit well to Paddle. What was that experience like? Oh, yeah. I uh, I don't know where to start. We, it's a 20, 30 <laughs> minute podcast. So we're going to have to go for an hour on that. I think... I think the experience, the way that I would maybe summarize it for folks without going, you know, we can go as deep as you want, but maybe to give mm. a good, good summary is that it is one of the most surreal experiences from an emotional standpoint and even from a physical standpoint mm. of selling your company. We were not intending to sell. We were going to raise money for the first time because we were having what I like to call a lot of $10,000 arguments, um, meaning you know, we had a bunch of initiatives that we all knew were good and we all knew were tested and we were all should be investing in, but we're trying to figure out how to you know, allocate capital. You know, and there were more than $10,000 typically in the arguments, but right. that's, that's kind of the, you know, we shouldn't <laughs> be arguing about it. So we were going to raise capital. Yeah. The markets were pretty okay, uh, if not great, towards the end of 2021. And then in talking to Christian, the CEO and founder of uh, Paddle, you know, he kind of approached like, well, what if we, you know, joined forces? And then all of a sudden it kind of rolled from there where, you know, the first reaction was, you know, absolutely not. And, mm. you know, then it was, well, if these checkboxes all get checked and then going and, you know, dating for the lack of better metaphor, a bunch of other people, mm. and then kind of going through diligence for, you know, a couple of months and going through, you know, while we were going through diligence, Russia's on the border of Ukraine, Russia's invaded Ukraine. 
Uh, the markets have yeah. tanked, you know, all those things happening. And so, yeah, very surreal. If you ever sell a company, find someone who has sold a company before, have them give you advice as you go through the process. I was helped with a number of founders who were, you know, just fantastic with that. And then, like, how did you find integrating? Because I, I, I think that's something that, like, we don't really hear that often about. Yeah. The reason you don't hear a lot about it is because it is, it's not fun. It's terrible. And, and the reason you don't hear about it is because I don't think anyone wants to admit that publicly. And, and the reason it's terrible is not, like, there's no, like, horror story. Like, there's no, like, mm. this person's clearly bad or this person clearly is, you know, ill-intentioned or this was, you know, not promised in this way and then this. And, like, the, like there's no, like, horror story. The, the problem, and it's not really a problem, it's just the facts of life is you have a number of different types of people who are all coming together and you're kind of like, well, the product vision and the thesis of why these two things should come together obviously makes sense. So it just should be easy. And it's like, well, no, none of these people have built up trust. None of these people have ever worked together. All of these people have different ways of working. Even if you're like almost exactly the same, you still have to build trust. You still have to like be mm. very patient. And then there's a lot of like frustration and resentment that kind of builds from, well, why is this thing that should take three days taking two weeks? Well, it's taking two weeks because we kind of have to talk about it. And, you know, we threw on top of that, um, Paddle's a British company and we're a US and Argentinian company. And so there's just, there's just cultural dynamics and you're like, well, we both speak right. the same language. Therefore, like everything should be easy. And it's like, oh no, this is a little <laughs> bit more of a British way of handing confrontation. This is a little bit more of a US way. So again, like everyone is well-intentioned and you're working through it, right? Like it's, it's so much better than it was. It kind of had this honeymoon phase. Then it got like, oh my gosh, this is going to be tough. And then all of a sudden now it's like starting to normalize and the team kind of follows the exec team. Like as the exec team gets better or when they got, were getting worse, the team followed basically a couple of weeks after. So that's just like a tactical thing to kind of keep in mind. And then I think just open yeah. communication just to make sure this is as tactical as possible. is just like, you know, constantly revisiting the plan, you know, the integration plan, constantly like putting out some fires, realizing there's going to be fires and then constantly asking the team for patience and, both of our teams, I mean, it's all one team, but like the folks who were, I call them pre-paddlers um, and then, you know, the, the, <laughs> the paddlers, you know, everyone's been like fantastically patient, which is great. But yeah, it's, it's hard. Like it's really hard. And I've asked so many people about, you know, because we were about 100 people, paddle was about 250 people and then coming together is 350. But I asked people who were, you know, aqua hires, 10 person teams who were, you know, much larger, who were subsidiaries and every mm -hmm. single one, it's hard. It's really hard. And there's just different yeah. trade-offs. And so, and no one talks about it because you get through it and then you're like, well, oh, this was fine, um, which, you know, it is eventually. But yeah, it's it's been tough. Did you have like a, when you, when you asked around kind of, you know, like to other founder friends about what they would do, was it a split kind of response of, you know, people saying like, don't do this or yeah, definitely do this. For like selling the company? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was, you know, for those of you who know me, I'm, you know, tend to be pretty analytical. So I, I went, even if it's qualitative, <laughs> uh, went out and I talked to, I think it was like 30, 32 people who had sold their companies about half had said that they wouldn't have done it if they had a chance to do it again. All of them had some sort of upside. So, you know, it's a little bit hard and there's always probably some mm. regret. Like I've, I've even, to be honest, have a little regret. I, I don't regret the decision. I don't think I would make mm. a different decision. But like, 
know, there's definitely things where I was like, hmm, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't know I would lose this part or I didn't know that I would, you know, have to deal with this part. You know, there's just those things that yeah. happen because you can't have full visibility. The other half said, you know, of course I would have sold. Of the half that said they didn't want to or that wouldn't have sold if they did it again, half of that group, so about seven, eight people, they just kind of handed over the keys, like they just left. And that was wow. the hardest thing that they said because they thought it was fine. You know, they get this money in their bank account and everything, but it was like they lost all of their purpose. Because when you're a founder, and I'd argue if you're an executive or like hard charging even person early in your career, purpose mm-hmm. is a really big thing for you. You might not think it, but it is because, you know, that's why you're choosing to do this versus, you know, you know, digging ditches um, or, you know, being, you know, an office worker of some sort, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the the biggest thing that they said was like, make sure you kind of have that purpose. And that's what led us to choosing, you know, we had a couple of options and this is what led me to choose to go to Paddle was because I wanted to keep going. I wanted to be a part of a team. I wanted to help grow something still, all of those things in this space. Uh, whereas other options, we kind of would just have like a very rest and best kind of a situation or, you know, almost giving the keys over. So, uh, and then the last thing, the dramatic note that I'll leave you on of those seven or eight, Three of them, uh, because of, you know, I I don't want to give causation here, but Mm. likely because of some of that loss of purpose, three of them became drug addicts or alcoholics. They're all safe now. They're all good now. But all three of them, you know, when I talk to them and, you know, they're past recovery or in recovery, I think that's a lifetime thing at this point. Mm. Basically, they they said like, yeah, it it was really hard. Like, I just didn't have that energy and I went and chased it in the wrong places. So yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Like it's, it's the, it's the things you don't think about. Everyone fixates on the money. Everyone fixates on, you know, the focus and all other stuff. And it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're people and our teams are people and those dynamics are, are a lot harder to manage. Yeah. Well, like that kind of puts a, a different spin on it now. Like after you say that, thinking about the process, if you do decide to sell and integrate, and I know you mentioned trust, but like, it obviously must be so important during the process to have that trust if, if you do decide to integrate. Yeah. And I think what really helped is Christian and I, the CEO founder of Paddle, we had known each other for a number of years. And so there was already some trust there that had been built because, you know, we were like conference friends. It's kind of what we call it. And I think that what was really interesting was when we were building the relationship with other, you know, suitors, essentially other strategic buyers, that was something that when those strategic buyers were thinking of pursuing this, but they were pursuing it not as a, here are the keys, we'll see you later kind of play. That was actually a bit of a blocker for them or something that was hard to get over because, you know, obviously if you think about it, they don't know us, you know, and, and we're trying to like make decisions yeah. that are, you know, hundreds of millions of dollar decisions within, you know, a short amount of time, right? So yeah, it's it, it's interesting. And I, I would say the recommendation and I'm taking over Cork Dev here at, at Paddle as part of my role is, you know, make sure you're building those relationships early and often, you know, whether they're, you know, it doesn't take much work, especially if you're, you know, do a lot of conference stuff like I do. But I think it's one of those things where those relationships really matter and you don't know when they're going to matter. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things where, you're, you know, you should just build them anyways. Can we jump back to the very beginning and like the experience of bootstrapping Profit Well? Yeah. Like, I, I'd love to know like what that looked like. Well, yeah. So bootstrapping, it's it's weird. Customer funded, indie hacker. We have all these terms now. Basically, <laughs> we never raised money. I was in my early mid-20s, and this is all hindsight thinking, but you know, no, mm-hmm. no mortgage, no kids. I come from a very blue-collar family, so it was a little terrifying to jump out. My parents were like, What in God's name are you doing? 
you know, you left the government job, then you left Google. Now you're going to leave and go to zero, like literally. And (laughs) I cashed out, I had a small 401k. I think it was like eight to $10,000. And I was like, I think I can stretch this to live on it for, you know, nine or so months. I mean, I can always find a job, but I always like to say both jokingly and true, like my payment was like, I gained a hundred pounds throughout the experience. So I was like, (laughs) basically sacrificed the body. Like I was very much, I don't suggest (laughs) you do that, but I think there's, there's, there's a payment that all entrepreneurs face, all founders face. And depending on your, your ambition or your goals, Mm. I think if you're a bootstrapper that is trying to, you know, swing for the fences, you, you end up paying a much higher price than if you're a venture backed founder. Now, both are paying a price, don't get me wrong. But I think there's layers to to that journey. And I think we made a mistake in not raising money earlier. I think we were past eight figures in revenue when we were about to raise our first round and then got bought. And so it's just one of those things that I think that starting out bootstrapped is very smart, at least for you know a little while, as much as you can afford to do it. And then once you start getting some traction, I think that's the point when you should be raising money if you're swinging for the fences. Not all companies are swinging for the fences anymore, which is, which is great. I know one of the things you're kind of fascinated by is like solving problems and then going after bigger problems. And like as a community, like what are we getting wrong in our thinking in this area? Mm. For example, like you know, how we think about a subscription business is growth, you know? So yeah. I think, you know, it's really funny. It's a, it's a really interesting way to ask that question because I think it probably actually gets to some of the core. I think that, and I can get specific to like subscription growth, mm. but I think that the, the thing that that just made me think of, I think that we, and this is the collective we, and, you know, even myself, it's, you know, it's taken a lot of work to, to not do what I'm about to say, but we are creatures of a path of least resistance. Like that's how we think about things, right? And we learn or do via metaphor, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, back, you know, I don't know, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, (laughs) millions of years ago, depending on who you ask, right? We would basically see someone eat a berry, they would die or get sick and we would be like, oh, we shouldn't eat those berries, right? Like that's just Mm. how we kind of like thought of things, right? And I think that how that manifests in the world of growth and tech and business is I think a lot of us go, huh, that company's successful. I see what they're doing on that landing page. I'm just going to copy it. And I think the issue right. is, is multifold. I think for one, at best, at best, you will get the exact same results as that company, which is not necessarily what you should be shooting for, right? But then the problem is, is you're not the same company. You have no idea how much time they spent on their landing page. Like I had someone, you know, be like, oh, I'm super proud of, like I, I you know, I'm a little embarrassed, but I like straight up copied this landing page, you know, and, and, and I use mm-hmm. it. And I was like, yeah, we spent five minutes on that. <laughs> like, you know, like we did not think <laughs> about it. We didn't go through it, like anything like that, right? And they were just like, oh, you know, because we were, you know, a darling kind of of the, the indie and like the Stripe ecosystem. And so yeah. <laughs> I think it was just one of those things that that caused. And, and so to kind of make this more practical, I think the, the big thing that I always talk to people about, not just critical thinking, but also like this concept of first principles thinking, which is like, you know, identifying like, what is the thing that we're trying to go for, right? And sometimes it's a number, but sometimes it's like we have two paths and one optimizes for X and one optimizes for Y. Like, what are we trying to figure out? And then from there, creating a framework, which is just a fancy or jargony way of like identifying the things that affect that path and then finding the data and looking at the data. And then based on that data, choosing to prioritize how you're going to get to that thing you're trying to go for. So to give you a practical example and to answer kind of the, the way that you, you asked the question, mm. think of it about subscription growth, right? 
Well, if you think about subscription growth and you look at, we haven't done this study in a while, but probably like 85% of blog posts and content have to do with sales and marketing. It's all about how do you get more leads? It's all about like, how do you get more customers? How do you convert customers? How do you talk to customers or prospects, I should say, right? Well, if you actually look at the numbers, right? We want subscription growth. Well, there's three areas that you can have growth in. You have acquisition, acquiring customers. You have monetization, charging those customers either more you know, initially or more over time or both. And then you have retaining those customers, how often you're, you're retaining, right? And I think what's really fascinating is that when we look at those three levers, you're spending, I can tell you, subscription businesses are spending 55 to 65% of their budgets on sales and marketing. Uh, they're spending next to nothing on monetization. They're spending next to nothing on retention. They have, might have a product team. That product team is very focused on like strategic retention, not really on like tactical retention, right? So that's where we're spending right. our effort. But when we look at the numbers, what you'll notice is, is that your conversion and sales numbers, they're, they're going somewhat in the right direction because you're putting so much effort into it. But your revenue per customer, which is a measure of your monetization, is flat. Your retentions may be okay. It's flat, but it's not improving. And if you go even further and look at the numbers, you start to realize, well, if I just increased my revenue per customer by 10% or 20%, right? All of a sudden, mm-hmm. everything gets easier. My growth goes faster, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and I've never spent any time looking at that lever, right? And yeah. same thing with retention. If I just improved this by 10% on a relative basis, like all of a sudden everything gets better, right? It compounds, right? And so this is the first principles thinking, which is like, I've identified the levers. There's a bunch of levers under each of those levers, right? And I look at the data and I realize, oh, we're really bad at credit card failures. We have a bunch of people churning because of credit cards. Let's fix that. Oh, we haven't had a price increase in three years. Like we've added so much value. Let's increase our prices. But Mm. long story short, I think that like, instead of going through the exercise of actually identifying problems and causes, we end up basically looking at, oh, this person tweeted about this thing. Oh, this blog post was published. Oh, the CMO I talked to at this conference said that this is what they did. And then we just Mm. copy it. And you don't get outsized results by copying strategies that, you know, aren't there. Now, I want to fill my my cue or my thought processes with Mm -hmm. these different ideas, but then I do my analysis, then I prioritize, then I figure out what I'm going to do, then I go get like, what did other people do to solve that problem? So yeah. I don't know, a little bit of a diatribe on critical thinking, but hopefully that's <laughs> that's helpful to folks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and like something like I selfishly would love to hear you talk about is your approach to content and, and how you married software and content to, you know, very scalable things. Like what, what was your approach to it, you know, and setting up shows and why? Yeah, I can kind of take you through that thinking with that. But for folks who don't know, uh, ProfitWell, we went really deep on content marketing. And we were the first B2B company to do basically this, I think what HubSpot's calling inbound media. And basically what that means is you, instead of, you know, using traditional content marketing, which is you have an offer, an ebook or something like that, and then you have blog posts and social posts and stuff to drive people to download that offer. And then when you download that offer, you know, you get scored and then maybe you get emails by a salesperson, et cetera. Instead of like that loop, what we did is we started creating episodic or audience-based content. So like shows. So we had at close, we had eight different podcasts and video series, everything from a show called Pricing Page Teardown, where we like tear down pricing pages and get positive and, and critical feedback, all the way to we have a show called Verticals, which is basically like let's look at video conference software and do kind of like a, almost like a Johnny Harris, like overview Mm. um, of like that space and why someone's winning, why someone's losing, right? And where this came from 
was literally just the constraints of being bootstrapped. We were like, well, content marketing is working when I was writing blog posts. Like we're not going to beat people who are spending so much money on content, right? You know, right. SEO basically. Well, how do we win? Well, let's look at it. Well, it turns out, and you know, I'm skipping a lot of analysis and a lot of data. Mm-hmm. The best people in the world at driving traffic are media companies. They are the worst at monetizing that traffic. The best folks in the world at monetizing traffic are software companies. So how do we combine mm-hmm. those things, right? And this was like a struggle. It wasn't quite a linear thing, but it was like a month of research, talking to people, trying to figure out, trying to build a model, trying to build a framework. And then once we did it, we started going all in and we started thinking, you know, we used the same first principles on a bunch of things. Like, oh, this first season of, of a show, you know, each episode you know, was pretty expensive. It costs us, you know, $1,000 to $1,500. That's a lot per episode. How do we reduce the yeah. cost? Well, our video producer, Ben, literally took a spreadsheet and looked at every single step and how long each step took. And then we scrutinized that and we went, interesting, it takes you an hour to set up and an hour to tear down. And we're doing that every week. What if we filmed everything in a couple of days where that hour goes from 26 hours, if you're talking about setup and teardown over the course of a quarter, and it goes to two, right? right. Holy cow, we just reduced and we just made it more, more you know, lean, right? Mm. So it was all these little things and all this like research to, to, to really hammer it. And I think the thing that a lot of people, like everyone's capable of this thinking, right? It's just making your team, and we had just constraints because we were bootstrapped, but like being like, hey, we're going to explore, spend money. And then once we find a kernel, and this is where growth is, I think, once you find a kernel of what works, then we're going to scale the heck out of it. And in order to scale the heck out of it, you have to understand what the levers you have to scale it. And this is what led us to have, you know, at sale, like a four-person team running eight different shows plus SEO, right? And we were, you know, dominating SEO in our particular space. So it's like, that's that's where you get these outsized impacts is if you understand what levers you have and go after them. And I think now that I'm a larger company, I think the thing is, is like, our thresholds for going after it, for the lack of a better phrase, sometimes have to come down, right? Like, we're okay yes. that it costs $1,500 per episode. We're probably not okay that we're having to set this up every week because it's wasting, you know, creative a creative person's time. But mm-hmm. like, we're okay if, it, you know, we don't have to get it down to $100 an episode, which is what we ended up yeah. doing. You know, we can, we can spend some money. Like, we can go to you know, we don't have to put all of our eggs in two events baskets per year. We can, you know, we can go to five events and, you know, run the same playbook, right? So that's, yeah. that's kind of the difference between when you have some, you know, some venture backing and, you know, bootstrapping where, where things happen that way. Yeah, I love it. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise. Old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. 
It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. What are you excited about working on at the moment or in the future? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, so my chief strategy officer role is kind of a, uh, like someone called it the black card of roles, like the black Amex card of roles, which is very positive delineation. Mm. And another person called it purgatory of roles. Like, <laughs> right, so okay. I, I think it's, it's, and the reason is, is because it's so flexible, right? And I think that for me, I am excited to, the paddle excitement and then like my life excitement. The paddle excitement mm. is, okay, we were at a certain size where basically it was going to be three to four years of doing the exact same thing every quarter, just trying to do more of it and putting out little fires here and there, right? Because in every SaaS company, when you know we were past 10, but you know we weren't at 100 million in revenue, and it's like that road from 10 to 100 is kind of just doing a lot of the same, scaling things up, putting out fires, right? It's not like, mm-hmm. oh my God, let's create this like innovative new product suite and let's go buy this company and let's go like, it's, it's not boring, but it's kind of boring for lack of a better phrase, right? <laughs> so what we, what we kind of did here, at least in my context is I was like, cool, I skipped that boring phase. I skipped the doing it over and over again phase. So now mm-hmm. I'm kind of excited, right? Because we're, we're a pre-IPO company. You know, we, we raised money at like the perfect time. Um, it's not through skill, trust us. Um, it was definitely like a little <laughs> bit of luck and just timing. And so now what does that look like, right? Like, what does that look like in my role? Like, how can I, you know, have the, as big of a lever as I can you know, to 10x this thing, right? And so that that's mm-hmm. what gets me out of bed in the morning and excited. I think the kind of life excitement, I think for me, I was like, if, if you're a founder or an exec, you know, at a company that gets bought, depending on how long your journey was, if you're like there at the beginning and, you know, or there close to the beginning and then go through an exit, it's like, there's a weird feeling that happens. You go through this really existential like period where, you get very certain of things that you shouldn't be certain of. Like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go build this next thing. I got to like start this side project. I got to like start the website. I got to start a blog. Like you get very like, okay, like I have to, like that thing's done. And yes, I'm at this company, but I have to like, what's the next thing, right? And I think mm-hmm. that I've, I've learned the past six months of like not being so certain. So I, I have a lot of things I'm interested in exploring. I'm hiring a bunch of researchers just on the side who can like, you know, help do some of the the, the time based work, and then I you know can can collaborate with them on like the thought work of, of doing that research. But those spaces are, you know, they're 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 very non SaaS, which is kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, they're that you know probably would be SaaS software, but they're not like serving the SaaS and subscription right. market like we have. Yeah, yeah. But then you know, I was talking to you know a buddy of mine, and he was just like, you know, you you feel like a chapter's sort of done. It's not, but you feel like it. Like, don't underestimate like how deep your knowledge, your brand, all these things are in this space. And, you know, don't poo-poo that, if that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. Let's, it's a little bit of a wishy-washy answer because I'm learning to be a little more wishy-washy <laughs> no, that, with these types of things. 
No, that's great. Just before we wrap up, just something, you know, I was at SAS Talk uh, recently in Dublin, Ireland, and you were there giving a talk. And part of the talk that you gave was kind of like you, like just talking for like 15 minutes, but using the word churn. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I personally found this hilarious, yeah. but I was wondering how you thought it went down because I, I just love when people take creative risks. Totally. So... Yeah. So long story short, again, for, I presume people listening, like some of, some of you probably heard of me or ProfitWell, but I'm assuming most haven't. So I, I do a lot of public speaking. I went to school on a debate scholarship, so I, I feel very comfortable on stage. Um, I'm always still mm. nervous. I'm always nervous. Everyone who's like, yep. you know, good or likes to do public speaking, they're still nervous, but they, they, they oh, still yeah. like going up there. So I've been speaking a lot and I've spoken at every SAS talk. Um, this was the conference um, in Dublin that, that I was at since the beginning. And I'm saying this because I had some credibility before I did this thing. And so right. <laughs> yes. um, it wasn't just like no one knew me and then all of a sudden I did this thing. But then what I did, as you just described, is I, I did a talk where the only word I said was the word churn. And it was kind of like, I am Groot from, you know, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it wasn't just churn, churn, churn. It was like, you know, me speaking as if I was saying sentences with the word churn and the reason I did, and the slides, just so people don't think I'm completely crazy, the slides yeah. had like a story and data and a bunch of other things. Well, the reason I did this was almost exactly why you asked me about it. It's weird. It's different. It's <laughs> like you're expecting, like it shattered an expectation where you're expecting, you know, a talk on, you know, something where I go deep and then all of a sudden I do something a little more fun. I think that I'm really excited for like the fifth iteration of this talk. Like I, I can't go in front of a room again and just say the word churn for 20 minutes. Yes. I have to like iterate. And the biggest learning I found was one, people like the novelty of it. People, you know, they enjoyed the novelty because they're seeing a bunch of talks and this kind of broke the mold, gave them something to talk about at dinner, et cetera. The other thing was because I wasn't speaking, they couldn't look at their phones. And they couldn't look at their computers. <laughs> so they had to look at the slides. So I don't know what I'm going to do with that learning. Like all things, I had overwhelmingly positive responses, but I fixated in like the four or five people who like didn't like it. So that was, you know, there were, there were four or five people who were just like, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't my cup of tea. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. fine. And I tried to like convince them of why it was good. And that's just, that's just kind of how I am. But uh, yeah, long story short, I think um, the, the reason we do this is, is, because we got a whole conference talking about us the next day and coming up to us and asking us questions about it. And I think from a branding perspective, one thing I didn't appreciate until the last couple of years is you need to do things that are purely audience focused. And what I mean mm. by that is like, you don't just, we're not going to go out and like buy a Super Bowl ad because it doesn't make sense for our audience, right? Mm. You know, because we're not trying to go for the mass audience. We have a very specific audience, but I need to do something you know, that gets their attention. And we as a marketing team, every single quarter, we try to have one thing where it's like, we're, we don't know how much revenue this is going to bring. We're not like fixated on the attribution. What we're fixated on is how many like views it gets of like our target audience, right? Mm -hmm. And so this was kind of one of those things. And the, the, this stemmed from, I, I did a, a video where I actually, we had asked our marketing team, like, you know, this is us asking ourselves, like, what right. would Mr. Beast do if he ran marketing in a software company? Mr. Beast, a very popular YouTuber, for those who don't know. And essentially, like, I recorded a video where I said the word churn 100,000 times in one sitting. Uh, no bathroom breaks, no food, whatever. Uh, nine hours, 
three minutes, like 20 some seconds. And that went, you know, viral for the SaaS community. We had, you know, we have over a million views on the different videos at this point. So yeah, it's just like stuff like that. Another quarter we did like these hot sauce drops where we created hot sauce, like a pack of three hot sauces. They were named Acquire, Monetize, Retain, right? Obviously, (laughs) you know, and then, you know, the ingredients were, you know, things that had to do with retention and stuff like that. And as part of that, like there was a challenge where like based on the number of shares or retweets, like I would eat increasingly hotter peppers and I'm, you know, basically Irish when it comes to my palate. I don't really like spicy (laughs) things. So yeah, Yeah. long story short, like it's, it's that type of stuff that like when you then pair it with like clearly we have data, clearly we have like, you know, good, helpful marketing, like it makes it a little more fun. And the thing that we want people to see when they see that is like, like a WTF moment. That's what we kind of call it. It's like, sure, we want them to be kind of like, what are they doing? But not so far that they're like, this is too weird and hurts our brand. And that talk at SaaS Talk was was probably right on the border. Like if we had gone a little too far with it, <laughs> if uh, there was an idea that we had, um, I'm not going to say it because we might use it for something else, but right, okay. that I think in hindsight, if we rushed it, was probably going to end up being too far and I'm glad we didn't sure. do it. But we'll do it for something else and make it so that it doesn't make it too far. Brilliant. Patrick, thank you so much for talking to me today. And uh, one final thing is uh, churn. Churn, 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 churn. I love it. I love it. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Patrick Campbell. If you did, let us know on social. We're on LinkedIn and Twitter at Intercom. Okay, that's it for today. But we'll be back next week with more Inside Intercom. Thanks for listening. This is Inside Intercom.